0: felt like I finally belonged someplace where I was wanted, probably, you know, for all the wrong reasons, but it was a place where I didn't feel judged or condemned and quite to the contrary. So that really was euphoric and, and, and felt like, oh, this is like, this is who I am. This is my identity. And everything kind of made sense for me. What inspired me to really change my life and direction is that I finally got to a place of feeling so much brokenness, feeling like, Oh, this this was euphoric in the beginning. This this looked like this is the promised land in a sense, you know, the LGBT community. I finally have a place to belong. But over the course of time, that veneer began to rub off. That veneer began to really reveal what was underneath of it.
1: I met a woman um, at a lesbian bar and we began to date and I got physically involved with her. And I felt like this is what I've been looking for my whole life. I mean, it just felt so right to be with her. And my sister just came right out and asked me, what's going on? And I said, well, I think I'm gay. And she had the best response. Like I thought for sure she was gonna tell me I was going to hell, but she didn't. I mean, she, she, her and my mom basically said, we do not believe this is God's best for you but we love you. The woman that was giving her testimony said what changed my life forever. She said, I decided I was gonna follow the Bible because I realized that just because I felt something didn't make it right. Because that had been my entire justification for this lesbian relationship and believing
0: Um, that this is who I was supposed to be. First of all, I don't think I have any business marrying Melissa if I still believe that I'm a gay man, that that's my identity. Uh, Even as a gay Christian, I don't identify um, myself as a gay man. I identify myself as a man made in God's image and a follower of Jesus Christ. My story really begins from the time that my parents found out that I, that my mom was pregnant with me. And the truth is, they didn't want another child. I'm the youngest of five kids, my next oldest sibling is five years older, and they really were done having kids, or thought they were done having kids. And so my dad really was pretty resentful and frustrated about having another child. My mom came around to love me well when I was born, but um, that sense of my dad not Wanting me, it certainly wasn't wasn't language that was ever told to me. It wasn't you know my dad never said that to me, but there was a, a feeling and a sense of that that I didn't identify until much later in life as an adult. This feeling and sense that I was always in the way, I was a bother, I was unplanned for, unwanted. I mean, eventually I found this found out the story that they didn't want any other children, and it made sense. And then also my uh, made sense in terms of how my dad. Uh, wasn't really present in, in my life. He was present in our home, but not really emotionally engaged with me. I have three older brothers as well, and one older sister. And so I really bonded with my mom and my sister. My three older brothers, understandably, were old enough, they didn't want me running around with them and their buddies. And it. But so what it did is it just reinforced this feeling that somehow I don't fit in the world of boys. And then at school, when I went to kindergarten, that same thing would happen. I was very shy, very socially inept, Uh, terrible at sports, and so gym class, the locker room, uh, the hallway, you know, trying to get from class to class was a nightmare in terms of being called out, labeled, fag, sissy, queer, uh, just, you know, all that. that, And it was always, you know, by boys. So the only place that I could really find any kind of friendship was in the world of girls. And that was not just true at at school, it was also true at church and just kind of in all the environments I was in. And so, when I also, at the age of five or six, I had some older neighborhood boys invite me on the school bus ride home uh, to come over and play with them, which was very unusual based on what I just shared. And so I was excited, I went over, and it turns out they really just wanted to pull out their dad's hardcore porn when their mom and dad were gone and expose me to all that garbage and just flipping page after page through pornography. And and that just, on top of everything else I was already wrestling with, uh, that, that just dumped on a whole additional level of shame early sexualization and it was this weird sense of of ugliness and and feeling dirty but at the same time there was something about that experience that also filled something that was empty and and so by the time i reached puberty i would try to steal pornography wherever i could get it i would um whether it's in stores or from friends or whatever and and so you know, chronic masturbation, pornography were huge issues for me, um, starting with puberty, even pre, or before then, and and all through my teenage years. I think that my parents definitely wanted to serve Christ, and and loved him, but it was more of a rules-based, very legalistic, uh, home as well as church environment that I was in, and and so I learned very early to split off and live a double life, and and that progressed into, uh, in addition to everything else, bouncing from public school to Christian school, into homeschooling, and then eventually going to Bible college at a local college early. And and then getting the boot from Bible college because the school was concerned I was suicidal, like in my fourth semester. and And I left the school, I was 19 years old, and I left the school. And I remember distinctly my my brother, who was a pastor at that time, uh, driving me to his place to live. That's the only place I had to go. And I just stared out the window and felt like just this deep internal rage and anger. And I just felt like, God, I hate you and I hate your church. And I want nothing to do with any of this anymore. And it wasn't very many months later that somebody made an offhanded comment about a gay bar that was in a town not far from where I lived. And and I wound up eventually, it took me a long time to even work up the nerve to go into the place, but I eventually went in and felt like for the first time in my life I'd found my people. I felt like I finally belonged someplace where I was wanted, probably you know, for all the wrong reasons, but it was a place where I didn't feel judged or condemned, and quite to the contrary. So that really was euphoric and 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 felt like, oh, this is like this is who I am, this is my identity. And everything kind of made sense. But you know, when Paul says in First Corinthians six eighteen, he says um, to flee sexual immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the one who sins sexually sins against their own body. I began to feel the decay of that over time, and within, um, I, I had a long-term relationship with a guy I moved in with pretty quickly, and and but then. After that, there were a lot of kind of anonymous encounters that I didn't want. The anonymous encounters I kept thinking they would they you know might be something that would last longer, but eventually I just got to a place where I felt this kind of rotting of my soul, this decay, and and I knew that this isn't what I signed up for. This isn't what I really actually wanted for my life. But I also felt like God hated me. I felt like I was a complete loss and um, somehow despised by Him. But then, over time, um, the fact that that God wasn't bringing a two by four upside my head, and He wasn't—I um, literally thought there were times I thought, "God, tonight's the night. God's going to kill me tonight." You know, just I had such a twisted view of who God was as as the lawgiver, but not as one who actually loved me, and and so it, over the course of time, I began to realize, "Wait a minute. Why? I, I never misunderstood the." God, the lack of God's judgment for his approval, but I be, it began to soften my heart and I began to wonder, maybe God isn't the ogre that I think he is. Maybe he's not the slave master who demands we love him the way that I thought he He was. And really in those questions, God just began to woo and draw. And so when Romans um, chapter two says that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Um, I hated that verse as a kid growing up because I felt like there's nothing kind about God, and and yet that began to take on life and genuine meaning. And eventually, um, I I finally surrendered my life, kind of it, it, for real. I mean, I'd prayed the sinner's prayer as a kid, but I I think I was spiritually as dead as a doornail. I, it was not until coming to a place of surrender on the side of an interstate in New Jersey, of all places, um, that I gave my life to Christ um, and. And from there, I mean, there's all kinds of other things that could be shared, but I really began to the church and and disciple disciplers in my life uh, began to really pour into me. And a lot of what I had learned and grown up with at home and at Bible college, that those truths that felt like just rules and law at one time began to take on life and new meaning. And and they be, they began to, I mean, give give me joy and meaning and purpose and direction and. So it was uh, over the course of a number of years where I um, pursued Christ, there was a, a period of time where I, I, dip, I went back into the LGBT world for a while after a, a, a massive loss in my life and I again became angry and bitter with God over that and did not deal with those seeds of bitterness and doubt and accusation against him and over time they grew to a point of Full-on rebellion, and again, God drew me out of those waters. Brought me to a church that was really walking very openly with broken people in very transparent ways, and it was in their counseling ministry. It was in their um, in a small group, and then later it was in a men's group that God really began to draw me out of these deep waters. And it wasn't it wasn't the idea. Many people don't understand this. Many of us who deal with these feelings, and many who come alongside to try to help. We're so focused on flip-flopping attractions. That's not where it's at. It's actually as, as God began to pour into my life through these men who just saw me as a dude. They just saw me as a brother who was struggling in this area. They struggle in some of these other areas, pornography or sexual sin or other things too. But as they shared their life with me and just took me under their wing, God began to activate what my dad had never understood how to with this masculine seed within me. And and I just, I had always felt like this husk of a, uh, like I knew I was a boy and I was a man. Um, I had gone through a period in my teenage years where I was really kind of fascinated with the idea of being a woman or being a girl and what that could possibly look like and that that was a season for a while of some real confusion but that came about really because of not feeling like I fit into the world of boys and men and I identified more with girls and women and I have no doubt there's zero doubt in my mind if I were you know 14 15 12 16 today I would absolutely uh, be embracing transgenderism That you know in, in that confusion and but with these men they poured in in such a way that um god really activated that place of that masculine seed and it began to grow it began to take root and melissa and i often talk about the fact that we still deal with some levels of same-sex attraction. I mean, it's it's not completely gone, it's not totally eradicated, which was a desire of mine at one time. But what we've realized is that doesn't have to prevent us. I mean, everybody on the planet, every Christian, deals with desires that are contrary to God's word or following Him, and we have to daily take up our cross, deny ourselves, and follow after Him. And over the course of weeks and months and years of time, it's gotten easier and easier to do that. But it's not as I focused on, oh, I wanna I be opposite sex attracted. It was as I allowed the Lord to build me up as a masculine being made in his image, that that, that became stronger and actually gave me a desire to be deeply and truly connected um, to a woman, to Melissa. Actually, it's our 16th anniversary coming up on uh, September 8th, so it's, it's just been an amazing journey for us, really.
1: So my story begins in, um, in a religious sort of religious family um, with an older brother, twin sister, parents were married, but uh, say that it was troubled from the beginning. And the way that my dad responded to that um, by the time I hit um, adolescence was he was just staying home. I mean, staying away from home um, under the guise of running his business and he was a salesman and the way that i interpreted that his absence in particular was that i wasn't worth sticking around for in the absence of and my mom was working full-time my twin sister so i am an identical twin and my older brother um, we were latchkey kids so this is in the 80s and we were left home um, unsupervised And in that, those hours after school, um, I was exposed to pornography. um, At the time, uh, cable TV, magazines. Of course, this was before the internet, thank God. And um, also some sexually abusive experiences and physically abusive experiences. Uh, My brother and I both had uh, really bad tempers and we would get into fights over the the stupidest things, frankly. He was three years older and stronger, so I always uh, wound up on the losing end, feeling beaten up and unprotected. And watching my, so that combined with watching my mom not confront my dad. Now, I found out later that she did confront him, but behind closed doors. So this was my perception, which is very important. But I perceived her as weak and a victim. And so around the age of 12, I made a decision that I was never going to be like my mom. I never wanted to be trapped in a bad marriage. I never wanted to be financially or emotionally dependent on a man. And I didn't realize at the time, um, this comes into play later in college, but I basically detached from my femininity. I mean, I saw that to be a woman was not a good thing and I I didn't want that. And so that was largely unconscious. But as I went through high school and into college, my dress became more masculine. And I was dating uh, guys um, and looking for that love that I really needed from my dad and from safe men. Um, I needed to know that I was loved, that I was valuable. And those relationships turned sexual, which kind of, again, reinforced that message that sex was love, and that the way to be loved is to give, basically to give sex. In college, I was in a long-term relationship with a guy. We became engaged. And I had everything going for me, really. I was at a private university in Washington, DC. I'm getting good grades, I've got a fiance. And internally, I'm miserable. I'm depressed, Um, I'm actually going to a student ministry on campus, trying to find God, trying to do everything that I know to do. And that emptiness inside of me just kept growing. And it was through a variety of like circumstances, socially, that one of my friends just kind of said, hey, you know, about this other female friend of ours, I wonder if she likes you? Like, would you ever consider dating her? And that just kicked open this door, really, where I began to consider that. and um, And before I knew it, I was consumed with these thoughts of, really same-sex attraction. Like I wonder if that is maybe the reason why I'm not happy. Maybe I am supposed to be with a woman. So I broke off my engagement um, and I spent about a year just reading and questioning and trying to figure out what's going on. I was very confused. I didn't understand how I could be in a, in a relationship with a guy and now here I am. And, and so that was very confusing to me. And then my senior year, I met a woman um, at a lesbian bar and we began to date and I got physically involved with her and I felt like this is what I've been looking for my whole life. I mean, it just felt so right to be with her. And, and I can say now looking back after a lot of hard work um, in my own journey, that that relationship really tapped into that deep unmet need um, for feminine love that I detached from because I saw it as a liability, and um, and so I was all in to this relationship, um, and it didn't last very long. Uh, I don't anyway. We didn't have that much in common, but she broke up with me, and that was really the crisis point for me. I mean, when I was with her, I had already felt the Lord drawing me. I had a distinct impression that when I was with her, I was choosing to put Jesus in a corner. And so she breaks up with me. I'm devastated. And, and I mean, I'm like in the shower crying, can't catch my breath. And I said, God, you've got to help me. Like, I need help. Like, I feel like I'm dying. And looking back, I realize now it was as if the weight of all of my broken relationships had come crashing down on me. I had never grieved any of those other long-term relationships that had ended. I had just moved on to the next person, searching for that sense of identity, that sense of belonging. And um, so it was about, so I prayed that prayer, the next morning I wake up, I still think I'm a lesbian, Um, but my twin sister had come to Christ through um, a campus ministry at a different college, and she invited me to a conference. And I was searching, so I said, okay, I'll go. And this was over our Christmas break, senior year of college. And while I was there, I heard about a workshop that was talking about people overcoming sexual brokenness, relational brokenness, and specifically homosexuality. And I turned to my sister and I said, I have got to go hear this guy because this is a bunch of BS. And she's like, okay, you know, I hope that goes well. And, um, So when I showed up to this workshop, I mean, the the auditorium was full, and this was 20 some years ago, of college students dealing with sexual issues. And that is multiplied today um, with the access on the internet to all kinds of of things. And, um, And so even just knowing that I wasn't alone was really comforting, being one of like 300 or 400 students in that room. But what impacted me that day was a woman getting up and sharing her story of getting involved with a female friend from her Bible study and in a lesbian relationship. And then they said, well, let's look at the Bible and let's see what what it has to say about our relationship. And so they studied the Bible and they came to the conclusion that the Bible said it was wrong. And the one friend said, I don't really care. I'm gonna do this. So she kind of went off into the, the lifestyle, if you will. And the woman that was giving her testimony said, what changed my life forever. She said, I decided I was gonna follow the Bible because I realized that just because I felt something didn't make it right. And boom, I mean, the Holy Spirit impacted me. I mean, just came in and pierced my heart, my soul, my spirit, because that had been my entire justification for this lesbian relationship and believing um, that this is who I was supposed to be. And so I repented that day of really my idolatry. And this is an important word. I repented of my idolatry of myself and of this other woman. But I also knew that just praying a prayer and of salvation, like I got saved that day, um, December 30th, 1996. I also knew that just praying a prayer wasn't going to change my distorted ways of thinking. Because of the pornography, because of the, the sexual abuse and my own decisions um, and my own behaviors, like I was in a habit of objectifying other people. And so I knew I needed help. And it took a few years to find that help. But once I did, um, I found a small group of women who were willing to be honest and open about their brokenness, and we committed together to inviting Jesus in to those areas of brokenness to begin to heal those wounds that had driven, um, you know, in my case, a lot of my sexual brokenness, and and specifically, um, the Lord brought to mind that decision I had made to never be like my mom. And I realized that that was my attempt to protect myself and that I needed to choose to lay that down and allow God to protect me. So that was definitely an early turning point where um, when I was able to trust God versus relying on myself, that began to open my heart to actually connecting in meaningful ways with other people, and specifically with women and with men in non-sexual ways. And so that was really, really important. Um, I, you know, it was a, a process over years, I would say, uh, for sure, in terms of, of lessening my same-sex attraction. Um, I still experience some same-sex attraction. And, and to me, Um, the verse that comes to mind is my baptism verse. Um, It's Galatians 2.20. It says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. And so um, I believe that, you know, Christ gave everything to ransom me and because he obeyed, I can obey him. And so, it, for me, it's it's a daily decision. I mean, and not even about same-sex attraction. I mean, that was just kind of the surface issue. I mean, let's talk about my pride. Let's talk about my anger. Let's talk about um, let's talk about the judgments that I had about men that I needed to confess and repent of. Like I had judged half of the human race. And so the Lord began to work with me on those deeper messages that I had internalized. And as I was willing to submit to him, then he began to change my outlook. Um, if that hadn't happened, Gary never would have stood a chance. I mean, it would Grace have been- a, I know, it would have been a minefield. Um, and uh, yeah, he would have been roadkill. So, um, so grateful for just the, all the Lord has done. And, um, And then as a result of that healing process then, that's when God called me to help other people. Um, And so that was when I finally got clarity on what I was supposed to be doing with my life. And, And that's what I love about God. Only in God's economy can He use our brokenness and our wounds and turn it around for the good of the kingdom and for other people.
0: Well, and at first, with regard to the kindness of God, I, I began to kind of experience His kindness in the absence of of punishment, and and that is really what opened the door for me to wonder if there was more to God than what I had judged um, Him to be. And then, over the course of time, this invitation of of coming into the kingdom I'm mean, very much very similar to the prodigal, you know, who's who's feeding the pigs and eating the food that they're eating, basically. And one day he comes to his senses and realizes, I don't even, I don't have to be here. I can actually go home. And he's thinking he's going to go home and, and and be one of the hired uh, help, you know, basically. And instead, um, he can't even get the words out of his mouth before his father, you know, throws a a robe on him and puts a finger uh, a ring on his finger and um and, and welcomes him back and rejoices that he's home and and in so many ways i felt like that's who god uh, that because my eyes were so dark and i had such judgment against him when i was willing to 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 ask the questions of maybe all of that was wrong uh it that's really when god began to open up and show me no i'm i i've been with you through all of this, like you've you've dragged me through every sexual relationship that you've been in, you know, you've I've been present. I have never left you. Yes, there's been a, a veil, there's been a there's been a chasm because of your behavior, but I have I've always been here, and I've been waiting for you to actually come home. I've been waiting for you to come back, and I've been working for you to come back. I've been drawing you with the cords of kindness that um, I think it's Isaiah talks about. It was his kindness. It was the fact that that. Um, that I now began to see him as one who wasn't just waiting to punish me. I really believed at one time that he hated me and that I was nothing but a disappointment to him. And when I began to see to see that shift, that opened up a whole new avenue. I'm also grateful though that I understood the the justice of God and that that He's not high fiving my sin. He's not just ignoring it. There is a, a justice, but there's also love that, that comes into play, that Jesus was full of uh, grace and truth, and he is the exact representation of the Father. And that's, I knew all those things from growing up in church, but I really had to understand those at a heart level. Well, and also going back to uh, talking about this idea of the kindness of God. I mean, I—it it is astounding to me today to, that God ever raised me out of the place that I was once in, a bartender at a gay club, living fully into that life, identifying with that world. And that he would raise me out of that to, to sonship, first of all, but then t- to be able to go on staff with the church that that helped me when I came there, addicted, broken, confused, just a total mess. And a couple of years later, I'm working on staff at that church. I worked there for 12 years. And my final role is as a pastor of Soul Care Ministries, overseeing support groups and counseling program, the counseling program that helped me. I mean, what an amazing thing for God to take that and turn it around. And also it's really important that I needed to get to a place where I was okay with remaining single and serving God. I needed to get to a place where it wasn't all hinging on, oh, I need to be married, I need to be with somebody else. But if this is what you call me to God, this is this is, is vital, important, life-giving, and life-filling work for me to be involved in, and then and coming to that place. I mean, God then really opened up this door for Melissa and I to meet and um, and eventually get married. But it's just crazy to me that two of the things i did not want at all was ever to be married to a woman at one point i was exclusively same-sex attracted and then the idea of being a father to children like i I would be a horrible father i never want to do that and and now being married to melissa and being a father to my boys are two of the most phenomenal joys in my life so i mean what god has has done is is shocking scandalous grace really Um, yeah, a lot of people have a, a question or doubts about, or even a strong belief that same-sex attraction or transgenderism develops um, in birth. It's something that people are born with. I. Do not see that as being the case at all i mean there's there's there are no really solid scientific studies that actually give evidence to that at all and it's not because of a lack of time or money that's been thrown at trying to prove a genetic link uh, or a, a, a pre-born link to homosexuality also Identical twin studies, actually, if you look at those in relationship to this issue, actually really shows that it cannot possibly be genetic uh, because identical twins, the the numbers where one twin deals with same-sex attraction and another twin does, depending on the study you're looking at, somewhere in the 20 percentile to 30 percentile range, if it was genetic, then every twin, identical twin, would struggle or deal with the same issue uh, up into the 99-point-whatever percentile or 100% of the time. I think twin studies actually show it's more environmental and more nurturing than it is um uh, something that we're born with. Also, this is important too, Dr. Lisa Diamond, who's a lesbian researcher, uh, has, she's she's done some of the most uh, important work on sexual fluidity that's out there. She's not a Christian, She's she full on embraces, uh, you know, lesbianism and the LGBTQ community, but her work says that um, we have got to stop saying that we're born this way, and we can't change, because her research shows that that's absolutely possible. So, really in every way, um, And also, Melissa and I have had conversations with hundreds of people who have been on this journey as well, and from the conversations we've had, we've heard too many um, stories, each story unique, but so many common themes that have been played out in terms of the nurturing process in the way that people have experienced environment in their family dynamics and other important relationships that feed into the potential for um, the development of same-sex attraction. One thing that's really important to say here is that we don't believe that that things that happen to us over the course of our, our childhood development, none of those things are determinative. They don't make us become something, but they do create an environment in which those seeds can really take root of a variety of issues, but certainly as well as same-sex attraction. Like I said, I have several older brothers and none of them dealt with same-sex attraction at all. They, two of them had really deep, broken relationships with my father, profoundly so. Like they left home early just to get away from him when they were still in their teenage years. And and yet they really had more of a uh, developed Uh, More of a womanizing, um, you know, or or a a craving for love. One of my brothers has been married five times, and so just because we've experienced similar things in our environment or with our with our parents or others around us, it doesn't mean that it's determinative towards same sex attraction. But what it does mean is um, how we perceive things and how we individually process the environment around us plays probably the biggest role. In, in how the environment shapes us and develops us over time.
1: And if I can just jump in, I don't know if this is appropriate, but I think that's really important that what we experience growing up, um, those similarities with other Christians that don't deal with same-sex attraction, that's actually really good news because I know for me, I felt a unique sense of shame about my same-sex attraction. And so when I was able to get into a small group with other women that were sharing their issues of brokenness and and what they had experienced, I realized, wow, this is really similar to what I've experienced, and they just went in a different direction. And so it was so helpful um, in lessening my shame and making me feel like I, helping me feel like I wasn't so uniquely flawed in a way. And so that was so helpful.
0: So. Two things, or, or something that relates to both of our stories, I think is so critical, is that <clears throat> we were bumbling and fumbling around trying to figure out who we are in isolation from community, from biblical community. I mean, I was I was in the midst of biblical community. We can be alone in a crowd. I was in the midst of bibl- biblical community. I heard lots of truth. And, and again, through my prism or my lens of, of interpretation, much of that truth, that is full of grace from the scriptures came across as a sledgehammer, and uh, but in co- both of us are talking about the fact that we needed vulnerable community. Uh, Melissa primarily needed some women in her life uh, in the beginning, <clears throat> and and brothers came along and also affirmed her. I needed guys in my life to to bless me and walk with me, guys that didn't struggle with the same, same things I struggled with, who were willing to just see me as a as a guy, as a man made in God's image. And, and not treat me like I was some unique freak, which I had experienced quite a bit of that in the church and at school and all that, as I said. But apart from community, uh, we would not be here mm-hmm. if it wasn't for biblical community. We needed both God's truth and God's intervention, but we also needed uh, that happening in the context of being lived out in community. The earliest time that I can remember growing up in church, there were a lot of things that were unhelpful. I grew up in a dynamic where nobody was really honest or real about anything going on in their life. It was just something we did not practice. All of those personal things, difficult things, sinful things were kept in private um, or they were kept within the family or whatever, and it was nothing that anybody knew anything about. So as a kid growing up in church, I never heard stories of transformation. I I heard lots of prayer requests for someone's you know, physical ailment or cancer or something else, but I never heard anything about the need for God to really intervene in a significant way in some area of sin in someone's life or wounding. And so that that messaging uh, or the lack of that kind of messaging had an impact on what I believed we were supposed to be talking with God and others about. And so that was very unhelpful. And so the, again, that kind of sledgehammer, rules-based, rigid, Christianity alone was very unhelpful, very damaging. On the other hand now, the pendulum has swung so far in the opposite direction that many churches are very squishy and Christians are very confused about identity and they want to love well, which is such a good motivation. I, I uh, uh, you know, encourage that, love that. But when you take truth out of love, it's no longer love. And so it's important that we not just react to rigid fundamentalist uh, biblical perspectives of the past and not wanna be anything like that and swing so far in the other direction that we're actually not speaking the truth to people. Rather, we need to be speaking the truth in love. We need to be communicating uh, that. And and the other thing I would say is many churches that hold to a biblical worldview on human sexuality, they they have the right teaching, they have the right heart. But so often, the people within those churches are not talking about what God's doing in their life or what God has done in their life, be it whether it's because of shame or pride or fear, they're keeping all of that stuff to themselves and they're not offering the hope that people like me needed, people all around us need. And so I would say that the churches that have been most helpful, the the experiences, are when people will crack open the shameful places and the hard places where God has and is meeting them. It doesn't have to be this gift with a bow on it. It can be, you can still be messy and in process, but are you trusting God? Are you walking with him? Are you are you getting back up and going to the cross? And are you doing that work in the context of community? The community aspect is what's been so helpful for me in, the, in, in a church environment, genuine vulnerable community. So we know the reality is that still the LGBT community and those who identify with that are a very small percent of the overall population. But we also know statistically that your average Christian guy, many Christian women, uh, even many within leadership, are dealing with a sexual brokenness issue, or pornography addiction, uh, or, or pornography compulsion, or some other form of sexual sin. And so the thing that, whether it's sexual or it's otherwise, the thing that I believe is most helpful and what we teach in our ministry when we travel the country and speak in churches, the thing that's most helpful is when we're willing to share out of our own brokenness. We have to become vulnerable. The thing that makes um, a, a small group the most effective, not just fun and fellowship, which is great, you know, but the thing that really makes it most effective in transforming lives are when we are willing to go first as leaders and as those who are followers of Christ that maybe have been in the group for a long time, are we willing to share our own story? Not just the highlights, not just all the wonderful window dressing, but can we share the broken places and and really be vulnerable? Because that's the thing that's going to connect other people that are hiding and living a double life. Um, Or maybe they're not hiding, maybe they're just living right out in the light in terms of brokenness, but that's what's going to connect them to the hope that God can provide and and the way that community can really impact them to move closer to the light and move closer to the to the cross
1: so as someone who was struggling um, in my identity and and I was confused um, when I finally admitted and my sister just came right out and asked me you know um, you know what's going on and I said well I think I'm gay and she had the best response like I thought for sure she was going to tell me I was going to hell but she didn't. I mean, she, she, her and my mom basically said, we do not believe this is God's best for you, but we love you. And what was so awesome about that, and, and then my sister did give me a list of scriptures that talked about homosexuality being wrong, which I didn't read at the time, which, but that's okay, um, good for her. But so what was so awesome about her not being, um, harsh and judgmental was that it left the door open that later when she invited me to that conference, I was willing to go because I was searching. I I trusted her enough to go with her to the place where I heard the gospel and I heard the reality about my own brokenness. Um, Also something that uh, is not helpful that I experienced early on in my journey was I I had been used to serving um, in the student ministry that I had been uh, a part of. And so when I became a Christian, I joined (laughs) the leadership team or I I joined the team or I joined another Christian ministry and I began, and so I just jumped in to help. This is what I do. And, um, And so I showed up for a meeting, a planning meeting for an event and the other leaders were making jokes about homosexuals. And that was so horrible. I mean, the shame I felt. I was mad. I was so angry. I And I knew that as soon as I stood up, I was going to be outing myself, which, which was not, um, like,
0: two brain cells to together
1: if they had had if they had had any powers of observation they would have understood by looking at me that i had some gender identity issues again extremely short hair dressed very masculine and um and so they were just clueless and so i got up and i stormed out and um and one of the girls you know kind of chased me down and met me on the front stoop and said did we offend you And I said, if you knew how hard it was to be struggling with this, you wouldn't be joking about it. And I just left. And um, I think if I hadn't run into my only Christian friend on the way, I could have walked away from Christ um, at that point. But God knew and intervened by having my friend. Um, He was coming up to the meeting late as I was leaving. And he took one look at my face. He's like, what happened? And and I actually started crying, which was very unusual. And I told him and just poured out my whole story of how I was struggling. And I just remember him sitting with me and listening. And um, yeah, and then they called later and apologized, asked for forgiveness. Um, But that was really, really hard. And so I always try to remind people that um, uh, some some people's brokenness is obvious, others is not. And so uh, let's not make jokes. About, about other people.
0: And on the flip side, you had a Christian leader actually affirm that this was-
1: Yes, and then on the other side of that, what wasn't helpful in community was I went to a, a ministry leader and I was trying to tell him what I was struggling with. And he, I couldn't even get it out. Like, I was like, you know, the reason I broke off, because he had known my fiance, oh, the reason I broke off my engagement is, I think, you know, I might be, you know, and I'm trying to stumble. He's like, oh, is this a gay thing? Oh, that's totally fine. That's what he said. And I was going to him as my, really, my spiritual authority. And, um, and so I walked away from that meeting not feeling any peace. Like, he gave me really an answer. Like, I could have my cake and eat it too. Like, I could, I could follow God and I could be gay, but the Holy Spirit was already drawing me. And I knew instinctively that that wasn't the right answer.
0: So there seems to be a lot of confusion in the church that's that's actually growing in in really strong evangelical churches that that understand God's um, prohibitions around sexual sin of all kinds, heterosexual, homosexual, what have you. But within many of those churches, there's confusion around, oh, is it a good thing or is it an okay thing to identify by my desires or my attractions? And there's a lot of accommodation being made for people to do that and and in, even encouragement uh, being made for people to identify as a gay Christian or a gender non-binary Christian or a queer Christian or whatever the, whatever the, uh, the moniker might be to hyphenate that to our Christianity. And our belief is that identity is such a powerful foundational sense of who we are, that when we take something that if we were to act on would be sin and connect that to our Christianity, that that's actually, we're creating a huge fault line for ourselves. And I believe that if I were to do that, First of all, I don't think I have any business marrying Melissa if I still believe that I'm a gay man, that that's my identity. Uh, Even as a gay Christian, I don't identify um, myself as a gay man, I identify myself as a man made in God's image and a follower of Jesus Christ. I mean, that's I've been bought and and paid for by the blood of Christ, that's my identity. Now, there's lots of different things that I struggle with, including on some level, some same-sex attraction. But it's important to distinguish those things from identity. Identif- identity has such a, um, a power to to form us and to even a power to limit our potential for growth and change. If we're holding on to something that God really died to release us from, Jesus died to release us from. We need to let those things go and recognize this isn't really about an identity issue. This is about sin. And we need to know how to walk with people in real compassion and grace. And when people walk in the door, by the way, and they identify themselves as a gay Christian or as someone who's gay, we don't need to correct that. We don't need to, to in any way, frankly, be concerned about correcting those, those wrong ideas. What we do need to know, though, is in our own hearts, in ourselves, we need to have a solid foundation of, you know what? That ultimately is not who you are, but God is going to, we're we're so happy you're here, we want you to be in an environment where you're gonna be loved on, you're gonna hear the truth of God's word. And we believe and know that over the course of time, God is going to reframe your understanding of your own identity based on how he wants you to view it um, according to his design.
1: Yeah, as we're talking about identity, one of the things that's been helpful for me, and I think for so many others, is coming to um, recognize that we are made in the image of God, male and female. I mean, it says it right at the beginning, you know, Genesis 1, 26 and 27, that God said, let us make man in our image. Let, you know, let us make them male and female. And so, That was really important for me because I was in disagreement with God that making me a woman was a good thing. And I, you know, I shared that in my story. And so it would have been easy for me and even for others around me to focus on my identity in Christ, which I am. I am loved, I am safe, I am secure. I am a new creation. Um, And all of those things are so, so important. But I really needed to wrestle down to the ground that I am made in the image of God as a woman, and that's actually a good thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And that as I reconcile to that, and I express that uniquely. I mean, we always joke um, that I'm never gonna be this delicate wallflower, right? Um, I'm never gonna be a girly girl or whatever. Totally fine, but I am at peace with who God's made me to be as a woman. And that, um, that essence, if you will, is really able to draw Gary out in the true masculine mm-hmm. that he's been talking about. And, and that, it looks different in some ways, maybe, for, for other couples, but there's still an essential nature of male and female, um, that complementarity, that, that intimacy that's defined by the other versus bonding with the same gender, um, things like that. And so I just think it's really important for people to recognize when we're talking about identity that it's, it's not just our identity in Christ, so important, uh, because Christ went the distance so that we could be reconciled to God but then that allows us to reconcile to being made in the image of God, male or female.
0: So one of the things that I mentioned in my story is that there was a huge disconnect between me and my dad, which by the way, was resolved years later. We became very close in the last 15, 20 years of his life. But that didn't make up for all of the gaps that were there during the all the stages of my childhood developmental years. And one of the things that I learned from that is when when I became a father, is I was not going to be detached from my my children, and I wanted to be involved in what was going on. I wanted. I also understood at that point uh, the value of really embracing the reality that I'm a man made in God's image and that what does it mean to live that out like I want to live that out in its fullness I want to lean into what that looks like and it, it's not this caricature of just being a gym rat it's it's something so much more substantial than that and so part of that is being a man who Um, makes commitments and keeps them, being a man who remains faithful to his wife, being a man who not just externally, but works even internally to do that. And also a man who is engaged with his children and not just leaving them to be raised by their mom. And, And so, especially with having two boys, it was really critical to To live out more of what it looks like to help my sons tap into their sense, a good sense of being boys made in God's image. And 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 that there was an open bond uh, forming between us and there's open dialogue. And so both of my boys feel very comfortable coming in. I say comfortable, they're willing to come and share things that they would otherwise be ashamed of. I would have never shared with my dad or anybody else for that matter, because there's an established a ground of trust, in place of trust, that when they're wrestling or struggling, they can come and talk, they know I'm not going to shame them, uh, and they know that we're going to talk it through and pray about it, and that they're actually going to feel more loved as a result of it. So. Yeah, those, understanding our masculinity and our femininity made as image bearers is such a critical thing, I think, in growing and blessing one another in our male friendships and our female friendships and and certainly as as being parents and moms and dads. I think one of the biggest issues we're facing as a culture, um, both in the, the world, but also within the church, is fatherlessness. And that fatherlessness is both because dads are not in the home in many cases, but it's also when dads are in the home, but they're emotionally detached. And that is causing all kinds of issues that feeds into identity confusion in the lives of their sons and daughters.
1: So as a mom, um, I think what was, what is um, so important is that I've recognized that as a mom of boys, that I need to be okay with um, them forming a really, really strong attachment to Gary um, because that's what they need. So early on, um, thank God, because of the healing Mm -hmm. I've experienced, I was able, I mean, I, I hopefully have been a good enough mother. I mean, that's what they talk about in psychology, right? In attachment literature is not a perfect mother, but a good enough mother. And and let me just say that the way that I am a good enough mother is I admit to them and I ask forgiveness Mm -hmm. when I make mistakes. But I was hopefully able to provide them with that secure attachment when they were infants, but then allowed them at the appropriate time to kind of turn away from me and to attach to their father. Um, And a lot of moms are really insecure about that. um, And maybe they think, Oh, well, you know, maybe my my husband doesn't have what it takes. Maybe they see that he's not engaged. And so to really encourage um, the dad to engage with their children. Um, So I really learned from my own healing how important it was to have that balance of of Gary and I working together and then at the appropriate time to really let him do most of the heavy lifting because, especially for boys, that's what they needed. It would be a little different with girls.
0: Another thing I just want to mention is that we talk a lot, Melissa, with women, uh, me with uh, in men's groups or when we're sharing together publicly, that um, people do not need to have PhDs in human sexuality to have a massive influence on those who are struggling in every church. I mean, the the church is full of those who are struggling with sexual sin, regardless. And then the church has a number of people dealing with some identity confusion and issues. Certainly that's true for young people growing up in the church as well. But the idea that I think many of us feel like, oh gosh, I can't say anything, I can't do anything. I I, I don't deal with same-sex attraction, so I just kind of have to keep my mouth shut. But the truth is, the gift of someone's presence, the gift of someone's time, and the and the willingness to walk alongside of is to, to, a guy not to, I I was so blessed by men in my men's group who when I finally shared my story they actually drew closer to me I expected them to be repelled and and you know I thought Sundays you know at up at Church they kind of be like Shh, you know they they find other things to do instead they were more drawn to me they were they they would hug me they would uh, they were just they did exactly what I needed them to do. And, and I didn't even know how much I needed it at the time, but it was very healing. And so it's, again, it's not this idea that we have all the answers. There's lots of answers we don't have. We can find answers, but it's more about, am I going to be willing to walk with you? And I'm gonna, am I going to be willing to actually share my life with you and my brokenness with you in open and vulnerable ways to give you hope that God can meet you in whatever it is that you're struggling or dealing with? For me, what inspired me to really change my life and direction is that I finally got to a place of feeling so much brokenness, feeling like, oh, this this was euphoric in the beginning. This, this looked like this is the promised land in a sense, you know, the LGBT community. I finally have a place to belong. But over the course of time, that veneer began to rub off, that veneer began to really reveal what was underneath of it. And I, I was I was exhausted by all of these multiple relationships. Again, I wanted to find Mr. Right and settle down for the rest of my life, but that wasn't the nature. It was kind of more of a revolving door of relationships, and not even relationships, encounters. And I just became so exhausted by that. And and it was in that exhaustion that God just began to reveal himself more and more as as the faithful one, more and more as the present one, more and more as the only one who I mean, he's the friend that never leaves or forsakes, and I needed that. I wanted that, and so that I, those were some of the motivations. And then, in addition to that, it would be the church actually being the church, who wasn't hiding behind this, behind all this image management that so often characterizes the typical church. Those two things were huge in in um, welcoming me out of the darkness and to walk in the light.
1: For me, I think that the. The major impetus, if you will, to, to change or to repent was being confronted by my own idolatry. Uh, I think that's a word I used earlier, that I had spent my life putting other people on the throne versus submitting to God. And, and the reality that my idolatry led me into deception that I had been deceived into thinking that this was who I was. And so as I repented of my idolatry, then I began that journey of being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And that's really where I think we need to do a better job as the body of Christ, is helping each other become conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Grace cost Jesus everything. It's costly. And so that cost is what keeps me um, kind of on the straight and narrow, if you will. And it's also the lavish love of God. Um, Like God is my father, that I am adopted, I am chosen. I mean, really focusing on, uh, on who God is, Helps me to stay focused on who he's created me to be.
0: For anyone who is listening to me and Melissa share, and you yourself are struggling with uh, pornography addiction, uh, with other forms of sexual brokenness, with sleeping with your boyfriend or sleeping with your girlfriend or for those who are dealing with identity confusion or identity issues and maybe it doesn't feel like confusion, the truth is that God has a path for you. God has a way out for you. He didn't just give us principles and um, and commands around sexuality. He didn't just create marriage to be the container in which uh, the safe and beautiful container in which sexuality can be lived out, but he also made us a, uh, gave us a way to uh, to embrace that and to walk in that with joy, and and so I would just say that first of all, there's hope, and the Lord has something great and powerful for you. We need, I think, two cri- critical things in in these areas. We need to have a sense of belonging, and so many people showing up at church on a Sunday morning is not enough for them to feel a sense of belonging. You need to get into a small group. You need to get into community. You need to uh, develop a community around you that extends beyond even just a small group experience. But in addition to that, I think every human being was made not just for belonging and for love that connects with that, but also we were made for incredible purpose. And and so those two things combined can help us come out of Uh, areas of sin addiction or even areas of a variety of confusion so that we actually know that our our existence has meaning both in terms of belonging but also meaning in terms of purpose that it stretches into eternal things
1: I would just say that um, shame in terms of those listening who may feel alone and maybe struggling with some of the stuff that we're talking about, shame wants to keep you quiet, yeah. and the enemy has a lot of room to work you over uh, when you're isolated. So we would really encourage you to reach out and talk to someone you trust, whether that's an associate pastor at CCV, whether it's your community group leader, um, to to just tell someone else and, um, that's really the beginning step.
0: Thank you so much for joining us for this Love & Truth Network podcast. To listen to or watch future episodes, please check us out at loveandtruthnetwork.com forward slash podcast. Also, you can subscribe to Apple Podcast, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and we look forward to seeing you in a future episode.